when we talk about Jesus, what comes to your mind? When you think, when you hear the words Jesus, what are the feelings that you get running through your bones? Hope, peace, goodwill, awe, wonder. You know, there's been a lot of dialogue about who Jesus is. There's been a lot of dialogue about who Jesus was. And it's taking, it's taking, it's, it's still taking us till this day to discover who really is Jesus is because you and I will never be able to fully comprehend the mystery of Jesus. Right? Jesus will manifest himself in one way to you and in another way to somebody else, completely different, yet still be Jesus. And when we talk about Jesus in the gospel, what visual do you have of him? Because if you ever wondered, we talk about Jesus through the, the entire year here at church. But we only talk about him as a baby on Christmas. We don't pause to think of Jesus as a child, do we? Very often. I mean, I look at my son and I'm like, man, Jesus was like that? In both ways. And you can look at your, your son or your brother, your father. You know, Jesus died when he was 33. If you're th older than 33, you've, long lived, you, you've outlived Jesus on earth. But we don't very often dwell on the person of Jesus, do we? we? We talk about what he does. We talk about what he does for me. We talk about who he is in relationship to the Son of God. But who is he really? What has Jesus done? I'd like to spend a few moments this morning to talk about who Jesus was and how we got to Jesus to what we think today. And in the Bible, John is one of the best books. If you have never read the Bible at all, start with the book of John. John has written this gospel with the intention to share the good news, that's what the gospel means, the good news of who Jesus is for people who lived after Jesus had come and died and rose again. So it's like second generation Christians, right? I am a first generation uh, immigrant. My kids are second generation, so they are, they are Americans through and through with Brazilian kind of woven in there somewhere. Poor kids. But in the beginning, John says, was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was 
in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not only anything made that was made, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness was not overcome, has not overcome it. And the word became flesh, and it dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. John starts to tell us who Jesus is from the onset, that he is the one who created us, he is the one that was with the Father, and it's because of him that we were created, and if he wasn't there, we wouldn't have been in existence today. So Jesus was in the beginning, and, and I love the concept. You know, here John points out that Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in the first day, God said, what? Let there be? You know, the sun wasn't created yet. That was not the sun. The earth was without form. It was void. And so light came through first. Jesus came into the darkness and scared all the darkness away to speak in the beginning there was god created light this was the first day the first day was the presence of the almighty creator on this earth before the sun and the moon and the stars were even put into place but you know even after john wrote these words there were some debates who really is jesus and so in the Council of Nicaea, now Nicaea is located in modern-day Turkey. In 325, they established uh, uh, an edict to counter the che- teachings of Arius. Now Arius is what we call in, in, in the theological world the Arian theology, which is the concept of understanding that Jesus was not fully God. So Arian, who, was, who came right after first, first century, he was, he was teaching that eh, Jesus is not fully God. He's human, but he's not fully God. Attacking the very witnesses that his disciples had committed to us post his death. And so here's what they established. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty maker of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten of the Father, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance. That's pretty heavy. Right? It doesn't end there. With the Father, by whom all things were made, who... For us men and for our salvation came down and was incarnate and was made man. He suffered and on the third day he rose again, ascended to heaven, and from thence he comes to judge the living and the dead and in the Holy Ghost. Man, we would need to spend almost a week just to kind of unpack this whole thing in detail, right? But in a nutshell, what they are affirming is the exact 
words that John stated in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Saying, this is what we believe. And you know, sometimes we have to make statements. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I should have heard a lot more than that. Sometimes we, we make statements like, I don't work on Sabbath because it is the day that the Lord has made for us to rest. Or we make statements like, I believe that when we die, we fall into a sleep of sorts and we wait the second coming of Jesus. These are statements. These are things that we believe as Seventh-day Adventists. And some of you, if this is the first time you're here, like, what? I don't, I, when I die, I'm not going to heaven? Well, not yet. Not yet. We can talk about that. I'll be happy to share with you that afterwards. But we've had to make statements on the person of Jesus because people were starting to come up with this false idea of who Jesus was. And so it's always important for us to remember that Jesus is not just somebody that we have grown up with listening, that he came as a baby in a beautiful manger scene, which it wasn't beautiful at all. It wasn't clean at all. We talked about this last week. He lived a life that was hard, and we're going to talk about this here too. Okay? But we need to understand who Jesus is individually. As a person, do not answer, because I know you all will give me a different answer, and we'll be here all morning. Who is Jesus for you? Who is he? But later, there was another council. You see, in the Council of Chalcedon, 451, they affirmed the dual nature of Christ. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here. I'm just trying to, to, to lay the groundwork so you understand that even the person of Jesus has been under fire since the very beginning, right after he died and resurrected again. That's why it's important for us to who is, answer this question for ourselves. Who is Jesus? What has he done for me? Okay. But in the Bible, the Bible tells us who, he, who he's a son of. We know that he's a son of God because John already sto- states that. But throughout the Gospels is woven various titles. One of them we're familiar with because I've already preached on it. But another, there are three of them that I want to highlight this morning. Jesus has been called the son of Abraham. Wait, how did... How does that make any sense? Well, when you look at Genesis 1, chapter 1, it says, and here is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. First person is Abraham. Excuse me, Abraham. Not Adam. Why is it Abraham, not Adam? Well, that's because the promise of a great nation was first given to Abraham. So let's look at this. The Old Testament calls out Abraham as the father of many. And he says, here are the the promises that God gave Abraham. I will show you a land. I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And if 
and in you all nations in the world will be blessed. All nations. There is a promise of, of, of something special about to happen as a result of Abraham. And man, his story boggles my mind because how, how can you mess it up? When God clearly tells you, I'm going to give you a son in your old age, and your wife has been barren in her old age, I will also give her a son. And, and she's like, well, but this is impossible. And this is the very first time that we see in the Bible God actually saying, all things are possible through me. Verse. Verbatim, it says, for God, nothing is impossible. And then you have Galatians. Paul also affirms this. He says, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to whom? Really? Did you catch that? The gospel, the message of a coming Messiah was preached. Abraham he understood the calling he understood what 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 that promise actually it wasn't just about property it wasn't just about virility it wasn't just about being able to have children it was what was to come after that that he was well aware and acquainted with the promise you shall be a in you shall all the nations be blessed and you here being plural, you're meaning your children. All y'all, thank you, thank you. I, I'll pick that up sometime. When I lived in Texas, um, I called up my sister once, and I said, what y'all doing? And she said, did you just say y'all? Now, mind you, I am from Massachusetts. We don't, we don't say y'all, right? We say, hey, guys, how... How are you doing? They also speak with a little twang. Or they pack the cob of the yacht. Hey, I grew up in Massachusetts. I can talk like that. But I choose not to. But, let me digress. The promise of a coming Messiah was very clear to Abraham. The promise of something that was going to happen in the future was extremely clear. Begs the question. Are you clear on what Jesus is for you? Paul doesn't end here. He says, this is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterwards, he's talking about the Ten Commandments, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make this promise void. In other words, just because the law was given doesn't eliminate the promise that was given to Abraham. So you have here a, a historical context of continuity. A promise was given. I haven't, I haven't even gone into the promise that was given to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, 14 through 16. That, I, will, I promise you, I will make a sermon out of that one. But 
they all understood that someone greater, someone bigger was coming. And so now it leads us to the son of David. Now, keep in mind also what happened with Abraham, right? Abraham was promised a son, but his wife said, here, take my maidservant. Go, have a son with her, and that will be our son. He messed messed it up. Okay? But then you look at David. David was is one of the most respected characters in the Bible. If I'm not mistaken, it's also my son's favorite Bible character. And it was for mine for a long time. But David was no saint either. Right? But in the, in the New Testament, they, Matthew, Mark, Luke, they describe Jesus as being the son of David 17 times. And they open. Matthew and Revelation open with this title. Jesus is the son of David. Check this out. When your eyes are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now you have to really think about, let let me try to connect the dots here with you. We have to go back even after Abraham. Abraham had Isaac, and then Isaac had Esau and Jacob, and then Jacob had 12, children, 12 men where we get the tribe of Israel. And, and he promised to one of his sons that the, there would be a blessing to all nations. Which son was that? Judah. When you factor in this, David comes from the lineage of whom? Judah. And so here you have Samuel also retelling the, the account and the promise that through his offspring, there would be a blessing that was going to be fulfilled. That wasn't going to go away. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. We, we like to use this verse to say this. Is David's offspring still in power today? No. But you have the consequences. You have the lineage that point us to Jesus. That it, as a result of Jesus, everybody would become blessed. But then we also have the son. Again, I've already touched on the subject of family kind of superficially here but now you have joseph jesus's adopted father he's the one who took him in right and he says is this not the carpenter now this this is the title that was given to jesus because in many many occasions you have jesus as isn't this the son of joseph the carpenter But here in this, Jesus is also associated with as being a carpenter. Have you ever spoken to a carpenter before? Did you know, notice that carpenters aren't really delicate? 
at all. They have rough hands. They have strong arms. And Jesus worked in his father's carpentry shop up until the age of 30. Jesus was no weakling. Jesus was no individual with a frail personality. He was tough. He had to deal with people each and every single day. Oh, you don't, you don't like this? Tough. That's what you paid for. I mean, when you dealing with people is not easy. I know. But when you have to when you are now the son of God and you and you're growing up and you're dealing with the reality of your world day in and day out people are going to question, wait a minute, this is the carpenter? This is the son of Joseph? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Jesus This is my favorite image of Jesus. Because Jesus is at work. Jesus is busy. Jesus is the one who we can model and strive to be like and know for certain that he was secure, that he was emotional, that he was strong, that he was courageous, that he was tender, that he was loving, and that he laid his life for his enemies. See, Christmas is a wonderful time of year where we get together with family and loved ones and we celebrate his birth. But so what is the question that I have to ask. What's the purpose? Why do we celebrate his birth? Why is it that we get together? Why is it has, has this holiday become so much more different than the other ones? Well, it's because now we, we've placed a historical figure and we are highlighting his birth because we believe that him to be the son of God. I think it's awesome. I would say 75% of the world pauses this particular day to think about, okay, it's, yeah, it's Jesus, but really, when have you really paused to dwell on the fact that this day that we say we celebrate Christmas is our Savior's birthday? Yes, I brought out gifts. But did you know that our gift giving has to be purposeful and not self-indulgent? And I'm saying this not because I don't give gifts to my kids. I, I, I bought gifts for my kids. But we have to ask ourselves, what's the purpose? 
Why are we really doing this? Is it just so they can have more stuff in their, more toys in their, in their rooms that we have to pick up after it sometimes? You know? So I want to invite my wife and my kids up here this, this morning. Each and every district that we've been a part of, every Christmas we would send out Christmas cards to our church members. With the exception of this one, you're the first. You're welcome. Um, I am going to call Sharon here to join me. The reason why I'm calling you, Sharon, is because you're our head elder. You come on up on the stage. Do you mind if I open this? This is going to be yours. Yes, because I'll explain why. Uh, you have there a card. You have cards with Bible verses on them. And you also have a block. A block that says what? Verse of the week. One of the things that we have done at home, and I'm not saying that my house is perfect, nor am I asking you to be like us. For only God knows what my struggle with my kids. Not my wife. She's perfect. <laughs> she just called me. Hey, where's call my phone? Where's my phone? I don't know where my phone is. Oh, it's in my purse. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, I do the same thing. Where, where's my phone? It's in your car. The intention is this. You take one of these cards and you place it here. And you put it in a place where it's visible. You see, we talked about family a little bit superficially, but one of the things that we have been striving to do is all of us together put the scriptures into memory. So our gift to you this morning is the gift of scripture. So what I would like to do, thank you, Sharon. You may come. I would like to call one member per household come forward and receive your gift. Not all at once. All right? So one member per household, and we are going to gift this to you. This is free. There's no strings attached. Okay. 
Is there anyone who has not received one? If, if, you're, if you're not a member here, it's okay. I definitely married up. <laughs> Who is Jesus? You see, when we look at the at the biblical account, we are told what did he build? What what did Jesus build? Just look at it. He built a ladder. You know where this ladder was built? Back with Jacob. Connecting heaven and earth. He built a temple. He said, destroy this body, and in three days I'll raise it back up. He wasn't talking about the temple in Jerusalem. He was talking about himself. He was talking about the body that you and I have as a result of our faith in Christ. A church. He's telling Peter, upon you I will build my church. Jesus built you. Jesus built me. He's built a home where my father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you because of where you where I am, I want you to be with me. I'm paraphrasing that. Because he's the author of our eternal salvation. Hebrews five nine talks about he's the author and perfecter of our faith. And the only way that we can perfect our faith is if one, we understand who Jesus is for me as an individual, and for you as an individual yourself. But he's also the perfecter. He's the one who's going to help you develop your faith. 
He's going to allow you to go through struggles. He's going to allow you to experience some, some hardships. Because that's how, you, that's how we build character. You know, sometimes my kids give up too soon. And we as parents, and you as a parent, you may be able to relate. Because you, can, you know that they're able to do that, but yet in their minds they're saying, I can't, it's too difficult. But God has given us every single tool available for us. He says, my grace is sufficient. Thomas Watson wrote this. A Puritan writer penned this. The, the world is, the, is but a great inn. Hmm. Where, would, where did Jesus try to get in and couldn't? We are today, we are to stay a night or two and be gone. What madness it is to set our heart upon our inn as to forget our home. We are travelers who take up our lodging here for a night. And Paul, and Paul longed to be out of this inn. The apostle did not say having a desire to die, but to depart. What a wicked man fears a godly man hopes for. Simeon, having taken Christ in his arms, cried out, Lord, now wettest thou the servants depart in peace. He hath taken Christ into his arms, of his faith will sing Simeon's prayer. But here's here's our purpose. Understanding that we are here temporarily, we have a purpose. And this is why when my wife and I we decided to come up with this gift is because we are part of something much greater than out of ourselves. We are much part we're part of something greater than our church. Our God desires his people to show by their lives the advantage of Christianity over worldliness. We are to live so that God can use us in his work of converting men and women and leading them to wash their garments of character and make them white in the blood of the Lamb. Not done. Can you go back one, please? Oh. We are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Ephesians 2.10. Did you know that the word workmanship here is the word poemia? Where we have the we get our English word poem from. But it literally means a textured piece of cloth. In other words, God has a purpose for each and every single one of you. Jesus came with a purpose. And he wants you to have that same purpose when you may be called to die to yourself. But the purpose is to share the good news of the gospel. Through us, God desires to reveal his manifold wisdom. Therefore, he bids us to let our our light shine forth in good works. You have a purpose. May your Christmases be a reminder of that purpose because of the Savior, because of his birth, because of what he came to do, not because 
of the event itself. Christmas is nothing but a reminder that Christ came to die so that you and I might live. May God bless you as we continue to grow in our relationship with God. May we continue to understand our purpose in, un, in, in, in this world to share the good news of the gospel. God bless you.